0: Um, Martha Rock is the author of 11 books of poetry and one book of short stories. Her most recent poetry books include Transfer of Qualities, which was long listed for the National Book Award, and Vertigo, winner of the National Poetry Series. She has had artist residencies at Jirasi and McDowell, won a National Endowment Grant, and the Linda Hull Poetry Award. Her PhD is in Renaissance Literature, and she has been a faculty member at Occidental College and at Otis College of Art and Design, both in Los Angeles. Fanny Howe is the author of The Needle's Eye, Come and See, and The Winter Sun. Her most recent poetry collection, Second Childhood, was a finalist for the National Book Award and her fiction has been honored as a finalist for the Man Booker International Prize. She lives in New England. Uh, Please join me in welcoming Fanny and Martha. Um, First of all, I want to welcome everybody and thank you all for coming. Um, And I just wanted to explain sort of how we were going to do this, since it's a little bit different from other readings. Uh, First of all, I should say, you can hear me, right? Um, So Fanny and I thought we would go back and forth. Um, I'm going to start, Fanny will read, I'll read some others and then she'll finish up and then we have some questions for one another. Um, And the first series of poems that we're going to read has to do with a kind of vulnerability that's particularly located in children. So I'm going to read some poems that are about that. Um, My book is actually called Silences, and um, I want to thank Courtney Gregg for doing the cover. And um, it's a book in which I try to search for what silence might be, what it might mean, um, how you might draw a metaphor for it, how you look for something that you can never find. Um, And in many ways, um, I've found it in looking at photographs and at paintings. Um, I've found that as I concentrated on thinking about a painting, there was some kind of rapt quality that brought silence into being for me. Um, But I look in various places for it, and of course the book ends and I've never found it, but um, that was what I was interested in, um, in doing. I've written a lot of ekphrastic poems, poems that focus on an artwork, and so there are a number of them in this book as well. And I notice, I'll just say this again, that both of us seem to be very aware of vulnerability, um, the vulnerability of the planet, of children, of birds and animals, of um, our political system, uh, and so forth. Um, And it comes up for both of us. Um, Okay. This is uh, an elegy I wrote for uh, a dead child, um, who never existed. Um, She came to me as a kind of hallucination when I was traveling in Ireland. And so um, it's called Elegy. No single image, only the landscape of afternoon, A time, not merely of time, but lifted from a color of space. If space were shaded with colors within our range of vision, it rises in paper folds, claims grief from her hardbound copy of Greek gods, sliding into the inescapable as a jut of land slides into the surrounding sea arriving at headstones with local names of the dead, as she draws closer in rooms, disappearing first from the oldest in memory, as erosion takes the hillside where we went to see a ruin by the sea and stumbled into all we thought to avoid by means of a landscape, nothing of our own, the afternoon climbing out of itself names incised in concrete, her far-flung hair, a sort of voice and habits reminiscent of the human race. Excuse me, this is called Vertigo a return of vertigo tangled in wallpaper patterns, antlers in the corners of carpets, woven tree shapes in wool, the necessary reminder to myself, these are stairs. Our figures still locked in the friction of each other's ways, old rooms now whitewashed over, the window tree drooping its bafflements of years, Changes as abrupt as finger bones cramped with what they've become. Rents too high, according to the economist, half of wages. According to another, the problem of trade deficits, all more than mere sounds as shoulders dragging, unpaid hours extending, ending in one foot after another, louder the child, heavier. Up the stairs. Excuse me for a second. This is called vanishing. Um, And it's vanishing on either end of um, one's life, um, both at the beginning as childhood vanishes and at the end. Vanishing. Cloaks wound around shoulders, dragging, unwrapping, all the purposelessness of the necessary. Would it were cold, would it were snow, Archaics proliferate as if language might recreate a leap in the air, breathing, when she could be swept away out of reach, now vanished in more ways than one body can take it. The stairs longer, the cartons more than cardboard, sounds added, deleted, marking time, interrupting herself. Finds the doorjamb elbow, hears a body, crack of bone. Breathless child in the furs of weed. Airborne, limp as tendrils piled on legs, arms, bones. And... um. I looked at several books that had to do with photographs of refugees, and particularly refugees in the Mediterranean, Um, and this is called Photo of Mediterranean Refugees. An image comes back and haunts us. Two women bent into strong wind, side by side in black coats, their backs to the camera, the sea to the right, her cane to the left, barren land abutting the sea no faces no voices turned away from those in the foreground looking out mouths frozen and downturned in the foreground a boy pulls the sleeves of his sweater over his hands or puts them in his pocket or the hand-me-down covers them anticipation stalled in the silence of september-december 2015, Without a future, without a past, one of the two women caught with a foot in the air, just walking away. Although what looks implacable, one foot after the other, can't be. Um, I want to especially welcome Fanny Howe to Los Angeles. Um, all of us have read her for years, and um, she doesn't get to read here often enough. And I'm very honored to be sitting up here. And um, Fanny, <laughs> well, um, uh-uh. we've known
1: each other since the late '80s. No, way before that. Way before that. In in Massachusetts, and then Martha moved out here, and I kept moving back and forth. So there's been a lot of crossing between us, and it's great to. Be sitting here together. Um, And we both weirdly had books out at exactly the same moment, which is why we're together now. Um, So I'm going to read out of my new book Love and I, which is from Grey Wolf Press. Far and away and long ago during the Second World War, I lived in an apartment in Massachusetts that smelled like a wooden drawer. This is not, by the way, a poem. I'm just (laughs) kidding. Just introducing myself. Um, Very brick, very quiet, where natural life tapped the window panes and voices sang and barked and changed tones. I looked at pictures as if through a window each colorful book I read was, was just that, opening, closing, opening again, broken only by the newsprint beyond the window screen. Each book was a physical model of the full day. Words pressed together in darkness, then flipped open to light, then sealed again. I held the pages up to my face and breathed in. The fragrance was the nearest thing to nothing. Nothing being everything that wasn't visible or present to me at that moment. This book of mine, love and I, is like that time—a response to what is visible, fleetingly. The uh, and um. I guess I'll just say history, with its gray and metallic waves that rocked from shore to shore, was the killer of this ethereal realm of childhood. <laughs> I saw the pictures in the papers, the news of the war that preceded the movies, so I could never see a way to prolong the pleasure of not knowing what was outside. My father was gone for four years in uh, World War II, and um, so that was sort of um, formed me, the sense of both absence and threat. Um, I mean, I remember right now Hitler's voice on the radio and Roosevelt's voice on the radio, and the death of Roosevelt, I thought, was the death of my father. And these early childhood impressions never leave you. So um, it's partly why I'm so drawn to the dilemma of children now, because I know they're walking around with such an acute sense of... um, the whole atmosphere in which they live. And they're trying to preserve something precious, which is beauty, which is the first sight of the world. And it's all being sort of horribly mistreated. But anyway, I thought I'd begin with a poem that um, called 1941. Um, On a cold day near Lake Erie, I was in a double bind. The snow was like a lamb shorn in the upper circle. Someone pushed me over the ice and stones. Someone else chattered behind. A rubber nipple was pressed on my lips, gagged and spat until my tears were milk. Everything seemed like something else. The number of wheels was too large for my body to contain in a dream, but the silver bar could be seen to be long with faces beaming in reflection from the land of the living. I thought I saw a flock impaled on a fence, then more clouds, God-free, overhead. Zero and one sat on either side of me, was trapped in apparatus and a family like so many before and after. A central contradiction once discovered leads to collapse or evolution the tremors in the heavens created weather we all mentioned this for years when we met on our quest for happiness and um
0: can, you hear? can everybody in the back okay oh
1: am i not reading no no i just wonder about the and, microphone okay Is it all right? Oh, okay. Okay. Put it down close. Sorry. That's great. Our earth can't live without holy rites. You can see this from the sky. Lots of hills to climb up and down, a straight ravine between. Snow figures engraved in stones show streaks of sun gone but The white rocks shrink and grow, grave at sunset. Turn to the right and you'll fall to the left. One figure wears a beard down to his chest. But Eros hates coverings and prefers to be caught naked with his bow and arrow. Embellishes, but clears the way for pathos. And then I'll read um, one of the uh, strange... This book is strange. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) When dawn mingles with air, things begin to take form as planes and spheres. They might start as clouds of stars or rain or gods or spurts of water. Soon the filmy forms take an animal turn, androgynous, emotive, we may never really know, since now we see through lenses and probes. Druids could not separate what they saw around them from their thoughts. Clouds were struggling to become gods. Twigs and snowprints were their words. Nature was the name for everything that moved. Nature was consciousness. Poor universe, self-sufficient. Nothing can be added only returned. That's my set. And one thing I wanted to say is, um, somebody told me that people prefer now to hear a conversation between poets than the poems themselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll do, we'll now do Martha will do poems and then we'll <laughs> soon have a conversation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Seems backwards somehow. <laughs> Okay, so I'll read a couple more from this book. Um. So I said that a number of these poems are crastic, um, and this is a painting called Winter. It's at the Norton Simon Museum, and it's by Van Gogh, and it's black and white, unusual, and for me, uh, just an absolutely gorgeous painting. Um, and it's called The Vicarage Garden Under Snow, and that's where Van Gogh was locked up or spent time. Um, The painting is quiet, lowers below all sound. The threshold we must have crossed over, that river dividing the tracks from the bridges from the unrepresented town as we stand there about 4 p.m. in front of the white snow, dirt coming up from under the, excuse me, dirt coming up from under the once white cover and a man shoveling his angled body. Behind him the river and branches lightly dusted, more twiggy things than could be counted unless standing as still and long as the man The branches trying for movement in their jagged horizontals, but still, unmoving, and the effort to be where one is not amplifies silence. The effort to wipe out the noise of shoes, murmurs, a coat coming off, to stand alone with a scene in which the shovel can't lift the wet snow, the river can't run and the vicarage garden lies below the frozen go- ground.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, again, this is someone looking at a painting, although it's not me. Um, it's um, T.J. Clark, um, who spent time at the Getty and who was on another project, but he fell in love with a Pusan painting Uh, called Landscape with a Calm. And so it's my effort to follow him. Um, I read his book called The Sight of Death, which is about how he went time after time after time to look at this painting. And every time he went, it was a different painting. To return to the changing light in the silence room, trying to see a painting differently, slowly each time, revising, turning his eyes to another figure, another color, the way a small V arrows into the space between glance and sight, shape shifts to maneuver the invisible narrows, a painting's self-sufficient containment, resistant to probe, turned away from exposure and the limits of time. Example one, passing by, Example two returning January to June, looking again until an opening opens. An occurrence such as blue, locked eyes, a detail of horse and rider off to the side, the way it startles and hadn't been there before, goes in a direction out of the painting as if insignificant, almost missing given the speed of the horse and a tiny conundrum finally seen, an arm reflected in the lake, nude, watered over. I had read um, while I was writing this book about the loss of songbirds um, and particularly about the way in India there's so many cities without trees there are no Birds left, not even sparrows. Property. Who belongs to whom and where as the bird's noise to some shrub near the ribs? Under the third branch from the ground, hooked to wings, it seems to have flown, belonging now to the pure form of light in which nothing makes any sort of sound, just skirmish in the dirt. Half-hearted footnotes, recalling lists of names on the page of a book, belonging to others lost in cities, belonging nowhere, documenting everywhere as rapidly as mania can manage, where belonging might mean billions offshore, percolated, pretended, the poison of carbon dioxide, ozone, and methane as high-flown sounds fade and slip out around us. To whom do they belong, these birds, sounding their directional language, unknown, unlabeled, belonging to the as yet unpropertied air. (laughs) Um, And then I'm gonna close with um, another ekphrastic poem, and it's about Agnes Martin, and if you don't know her work, it's mostly grids. And then if you stare at it, Um, Colors Come at You. Anyway, this is called After. What was I doing on the floor, rag in hand, and how many times the stain of underglaze rust on the underside of a porcelain sink? And it happens time after time as the pale color of sun rises in her canvases just under the surface but coming as if there were an after in the dawn. We try to gather that on paper, spread it on bodies still asleep, knowing what even the splay of an arm will bring. After is what we have to live with, and it moves itself back and forth in mechanized brain waves, unable to stop what was, what will be when silence ravishes the sidewalk, takes on the street, a back and forth ancient body pulling time, pushing it into the future. Her box filled with bits of bark and leaves, where after, ghosts itself on the present, on the present. Take it, amplify it, see it coming. We all dream the dream of falling.
1: Your turn. okay. <laughs> it's just gorgeous. Thank you. So I'm gonna uh, take a new direction than I plan to. This is called Destinations. You met me at the subway where tracks led east to North Station and on up to Cape Ann. We were almost romantic not knotted, but erect, side by side, passively waiting for an apocalyptic collision to rupture the grave tension between wholly conscious, ontological thinking and the steel-pebbling motion of the tracks, sparked into action by a fiery touch. We smiled our way forward, perfectly even, In a faraway land and a hotel I never visited, there were 99 hells in a ghost book half erased. Like this, I was in love with a non-entity. This was the hardest part assigned to me. During my brief tenure, I loved loving best, one who didn't exist. In the early days, it was the opposite. Nature, even mine, did exist and loved itself, clouds doted on the sea, amorousness was in the air, returning every wave and sigh, the squirrels told the oak to shake its acorns down for the dirt to eat. I almost touched you on a Saturday, the wind blew easterly, there was a jar of mums on a table near the window. Their yellows were calling to each other. Place names were put back in the pencil drawer before I saw your shadow. First the sky was too close, then white snow followed. On a hand was an amethyst, a cube of lilac in hospital light. Whose fault is it when no one visits Last night I dreamed I was in a peaceful place, but woke up, freezing and ashamed, on a side street on my sheets, one I loved passed as a shadow. Maddish, reddish, his fist clenched for a fight. I recalled his body color, being soft like a child. Honey, I called, we were too late. You, like a dwarf lover of a giant killer, crouched in the nave, would do anything to become something new. Scientists asked why you had to hide away with the ruins of religion. To take the weight off your feet? To look at stained glass windows, sort of honey like a waffle cone, with sweet cream and berries inside. The tinier the beauty, the better. A bird's cherry-pit heart pulsed between two bones. There's a softening to the bricks outside, and the thousand-mile storm is leaving where it's coming from, from the long-ago to my abode. I'll sit at the window where it's safe to say no. I won't go out, won't work for a living. We'll study the clouds becoming snow. Not with a spyglass, but with a wild guess and only three words. You never know. Now I see others like me thinning into the least thing. Downstairs, cries of lust. Up here, a requiem mass and light to lead the clouds home to the past. So that's that.
0: (laughs) So how about I'll start and ask you a question. Um, We had a brief conversation um, on a, I don't know what the name of that street is, Mentor? No, not Mentor. Anyway, we had a brief conversation um, and started to talk about um, how we came about writing poems, what the process was for each of us to write a poem. And um, so maybe you'd be interested in that as well. I'm always interested in it. So uh, Fanny started to talk to me about sentences. So could you say some more things about that? Well, to me, um, it's a unit
1: of sound, one line, not necessarily a sentence. But a line in a poem is one unit of sound. And I remember just being so struck by Sanskrit, and the way it had a little roof on it, all the words, and it w- they were like contained in a house. And so I, that just somehow went deep in it. And so I, I think, I think in terms of units like that uh, with a roof on top. And um, so every line to me is a, is a poem almost, a monastiche, it's its, its own thing. So was, and that's how I write. Really, is rushing along, writing down sentences.
0: And do you um, do you keep um, a notebook where you write these sentences down, and then think about how they go together later, or how do you do that?
1: I do just that.
0: Cap- yeah. <laughs> so, because I never, um, I never write. Except if I'm completely alone and the door's shut and no one can come in and um, can't interrupt me. And yeah. Um, so the idea of continuing all the time to do that is not something I can imagine doing.
1: No, really? Yeah, no, it's always in motion for me. And it's almost like throwing, throwing the poem away. And I just sort of write it down and toss it away somewhere. And then later I find a little pile of. Um, (laughs) sentences lying around, and then I have to look at them and study them and see what are they saying, and then I work with the sound patterns with more than the meaning, or I can't separate the two.
0: And then I had another question which came up because of the piece that you just read, which is, um, something being given you to do. I've forgotten the exact word you used, like a, not an assignment, but a...
1: Yes, it was like an assignment. My mission, my um, job basically here in this world was to do this, and so I better just keep on doing it, whether it means anything or not. (laughs) So it
0: means um, not just writing poetry, but a particular kind or a particular because this book is a very particular book. Um, I mean it's very um, focused on that, which isn't there, and on its um, sort of wispy or uh, um, it's a sh- shadowy appearances. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah, it is like it's the ghost of poems past. That's what I would say. So there's not much logic in it. <laughs>
0: yeah, because I realized that when I write I, um, uh, what, I've been, I think, because I taught 16th and 17th century British poetry and they came in sort of sonnets and they're kind of chunks I guess. I think um, I try to figure out what it is that I'm thinking. What I'm always after is what is it that you're thinking or what is it that you have in mind and how do you find it and what language will give it to you. And um, I think part of it comes from having read a lot of those poems. Um, And um, the other thing that's true, and I think this is true for you too, so I'll ask you and then I'll come back, but is each of your books different from the others, or do you feel that, having been given this assignment, that they're all part of that obligation? I feel
1: each one is um, is very determined by the historical moment. And so I've written um, a, a book called Come and See, which is really about history in Russia and America. It's very political. And that was under that umbrella at that time of, of uh, the way we were thinking here now. Um, so I, fe- I see every one of them being a response to the time we're in.
0: Uh-huh. Because I realized that um, my assignment to myself about a book is different from that. Um, it's more like entering a room so each book is a different room, and I take up a different topic, so this one had that overarching sense of looking for silence, and the last book I wrote, Ocular Proof, was um, focused on black and white photography, and the ways in which photographs are documents and works of art, and lie to you, and you can't
1: it's a great book, it's a wonderful
0: book. Well, anyway, that's what that book was about, and then I had a book of prose poems um, that were, that came out of reading Henry James called The Transfer of Qualities, and I decided that I was gonna write about the way in which objects have a very sort of tropic effect on all of us, and so I just, I, I, I think it's setting up a kind of question that, you know, that I need yeah, to yeah, address. No,
1: it's, it's, Totally two different ways of living in the world. I, I just whirl around throwing these things. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you go in a closed room. do that. Right. <laughs> but we both seem to be very worried about time. Yes. I mean, apart from everything else, which is a preoccupation. But time, why things disappear, why they're there and then they're gone. Yeah. That seems... But do you think you people... You people, <laughs> do you have anything to say back to us? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, you were much more conscious of that, of, she, of she, the she, stanza, and yeah, sort of the completed thought, the completed idea.
0: Yeah, and so I think I it's particularly think true in this book. I think of it as a rather old-fashioned book in that way. I mean, it's much more, um, I mean, I spent a lot of time, I do a lot of free association, and um, particularly around the visual, I'm very interested in the relationship of imagery and language, and um, then by the time I've written something, it doesn't make much sense, so the trick is then to do a revision that will allow it to make some kind of sense, I
1: think. But you're right, there are these um, uh, shapes that you see ahead of you that involve a pause, obviously, that they come to an end, how far you can take the idea and then the stanza helps you see when that's, you've gone far enough, goodbye, go away. <laughs> and I think you do have, have to have that mentally for your own a balanced state to have pauses, you know, pauses of logic and of emotion too. Um, it's, it's now more p- possible to be analytical about it. When I was younger, young blood, <laughs> when I was whirling along without much thought, I didn't think about it the way I do now. But when you get older, you thin out, you become a, 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 a sort of vapor that <laughs> has a chance. To hover over things without anxiety, and time is definitely one of those mysteries. It's a complete mystery, really. It is, and I would rather die tomorrow than die without knowing what time is. And I will. So, that's the <laughs>
0: <end>. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was I'm auditing a class, and I was assigned to read Deleuze on time. Mm. And if you think you don't know what time is, you should try to read Deleuze on time. Anyway, um, I have always been um, focused on the transitory and the way things pass. um, And that um, as a child, I was very obsessed with dying. And I think um, I, uh, I love this Japanese phrase, mono no aware which uh, has to do with uh, dew on the flower and all those things that are very transitory and about to disappear. um, I think it's the the, sort of the main thing that I think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in your
1: poem. Yes.
0: Anybody else have a question? Yeah.
1: Huh. a complete thought it's all about thinking it's a complete thought okay. yeah
0: yeah and I think for me it's important that the thinking that goes on in poetry is different from the thinking that goes on when you read the newspaper or you try to figure out how to get from here to wherever you're going Or, I mean it's a different kind of thinking and for me it um, it fills the world in a way that's um, necessary. Um, And I try to explain this, I remember, to my students about why it is one has to read poetry. Um, But for me, it's a kind of thinking and a way of looking at the world that nothing else I know of provides me. So um, it's essential.
1: Well, I also think Everything is poetry. I mean, I think poetry is everywhere in this room between each of you. In every movie I ever see, there's poetry. And what that means to me is a kind of completedness that goes, moves around. And so you're trying to catch that little bubble of completion, but I could see in each one of you a poem, a a poetic being
0: if you if you are actu- after a, a more formal answer you would get very different answers from yeah, different yeah. poets um and people do very different kinds of things and both of us are m- pushed a little bit more towards experimental poetry i think than some other people and um there's a huge range so. yes Sorry. three pieces of paper flutter out of your book oh, just oh. Like a <laughs> and landed beauty Look at them.
1: <laughs> See there. Everything is about beauty. That's how people survive. Is beauty. Um, I, I'm always surprised by humor in your work. Um, what do you think of humor? <laughs> Comedy. <laughs> it's the greatest. <laughs> I don't like people who can't laugh. They scare me. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, um, in the end, the thing is not to take yourself seriously, but take the world seriously. And in that little gap, there's a big laugh <laughs> because it's always swinging around between ego and and a laugh. And I'm
0: on the side of the yeah. laugh. And you wouldn't be a poet if you weren't foolish, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anybody else? there, we're well, probably you're probably tired, Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to try? Go ahead. I'll try. Oh, I didn't um, see you there, I'm sorry. your work and I'm also a big fan of your sister Susan. Yes, <laughs> right. I know, I don't blame you for asking it, it's the weirdest thing ever, because um, she started out as a painter, and she still is a very visual artist, and a genius, I think, she's done such beautiful work, Um, but we, from the beginning, first of all, I was the younger one, so... Beaten up and thrown down the (laughs) stairs, so I carried (laughs) resentment which she didn't. (laughs) But um, also, I just took a totally (laughs) different path in life from hers. She's much more the way you are. Much more, close the door and leave me alone while I do this. And mine is battered and thrown around in buses and everything. So, but I think we did share a mother. (laughs) She was a wonderful Irish woman, a great genius herself, and she read us poems, she spoke poetically, she sang songs, and Ireland was actually, for both of us, a huge presence in our youth. And I think that planted the um, poetry in us equally, and then we each took it where we wanted. Thank you all. Thank you so much. do. You've beautiful reading.
0: You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.